From Wondery, I'm Brooke Sifrin. And I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. And this is Even the Rich. Over the last four episodes, we followed Madonna as she went from a couch-surfing, aspiring dancer in New York to a record-breaking rock and roll Hall of Famer. But Madonna's story isn't over yet. She's still working, making music, and reminding us all that no one does it quite like the queen of pop. Exactly. Nothing slows Madonna down. And she's hard at work on the next chapter in her ongoing evolution. Now, we know how Madonna got here. But we don't know as much about how she stayed here, especially given all the criticism she received. Right. So today we're talking to author Roxane Gay about sexuality in the 1980s, ageism in the music industry, and what makes Madonna a bad feminist. Roxane Gay is a writer, co-host of the Luminary podcast Here to Slay, and the author behind several books, including the New York Times bestseller Bad Feminist. Before we get to that, though, I feel like we should talk about our own relationship to Madonna. Like, I feel like everybody has their Madonna moment where they first discovered her, right? Oh, 100%. My first memory of Madonna that, like, really was like, this is Madonna, she's on the map in my head, (laughs) was the music video for Material Girl. Where it's like she's dancing and she's got all these men and she's in that pink dress. And it's just so iconic. They replicated it in Gossip Girl, like... It's truly just, I was like, this woman knows fashion. This woman knows how to sing. This woman knows how to dance. I basically have all three things in common with her, obviously. exactly. (laughs) Just two triple threats going through life. Yeah, exactly. How about you? So, yeah, my first memory of Madonna is the Like a Prayer video. And I'm actually not sure how that's the case because I was like four when that video came out. I can just remember us, like, dancing in my living room to like a prayer i love i mean i love that song and you know we watched it back again recently all of us at etr and we was, <laughs> yeah, we was like wow this video is wild <laughs> like that woman throwing madonna into the air <laughs> like <laughs> that scene i don't remember seeing that before and i'll never forget it now <laughs> I feel like Roxanne also has her own first memory of Madonna, and I truly cannot wait to hear what she has to say. Oh, same. So let's get cracking. Hi, Roxanne. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. Hi. uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, everyone on Team ETR is a huge (laughs) fan of yours. (laughs) Yeah, we kind of feel like we're uh, talking to a legend about a legend. So pretty exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're definitely talking about a legend. That's for sure. (laughs) So Arisha and I were talking earlier about our first memories of Madonna So I'm curious, Roxanne, what's your first memory of Madonna? Like, what did she mean to you growing up? Uh, My first memory of Madonna is that I wasn't allowed to listen to her music because my parents, well, I was too at the time, very Catholic and um, Papa Don't Preach had come out and then Like a Virgin. And it was considered incredibly blasphemous at the time, Yeah, but it was a great song. And so I listened to it every chance I got. So do you have a favorite Madonna song, album? Yeah, of course. Um, My favorite album, there was a sort of like greatest hits album that came out about 30 years ago that basically had her all of her best songs to that point. 
and it's phenomenal. It has Papa Don't Preach, uh, Holiday, um, Live to Tell, uh, uh, Like a Prayer, uh, Vogue, like all of the, the sort of big hits of the yeah. 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And those were like my formative years. And yeah. so they imprinted on me. And yeah. um, I wear that one out. I yeah. still have the CD somewhere. <laughs> I bet. <Yeah. laughs> Do you have a favorite Madonna video? Oh, Like a Prayer. Yes. Yeah. It's, that video holds up. I don't get it. It really does. It just it's like wild. really holds up. Yeah. That's like my first memory of Madonna, I think, growing up. How about one last one? A favorite Madonna controversy or moment? Um, I love the sex book she did yeah. with the metal <laughs> yeah. cover, and it's impossible right. to find now. Oh, Do you have a that copy? Book is, uh, no, I wish. That book is actually really good. And um, there was a documentary that came out around that time a Madonna sort of self-filmed documentary and she was dating Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. All of mm-hmm. it was wild. It was just all <laughs> just wild. And in the movie, like Warren Beatty, you can tell he's like, I don't really want to be on camera. This yeah. is pre-Annette Benning, And um, <laughs> it was just so great to see her living so unapologetically and to be, you know, exactly sort of, at least in the context of this documentary, to be exactly who we all thought she was. And and I mean that in the best possible way. Um, you know, I thought those were great. But the sex book, like, people lost their fucking minds over that book. Like, the right wing lost it. And it was just because, like, I think they were just so unbearably turned on that they could not <laughs> handle it. <laughs> so then is that why you think the book is so good? Just like... No, I thought the book was just beautiful. Mm. It was beautifully produced. I thought mm-hmm. the pictures were really sexy. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. just a great book. I got to get you a copy somehow. <laughs> Someone send Roxanne a copy of that damn book. <laughs> I've tried to find it. It's like the only copies available are like thousands of dollars. Oh, of course. Wow. It's yeah. just, that yeah. It's like, I mean, it's great, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one of the reasons we wanted you for this interview is because you've actually interviewed the queen of pop herself. Yes. You profiled Madonna in 2017 for the cover of Harper's Bazaar. What did you learn about her that you didn't know already? You know, the thing about a celebrity like Madonna is that I don't know that I learned anything that no, you know, like that hasn't already been revealed. Mm-hmm. You know, people who reach that level of fame actually are highly curated and they have gotten very good at boundaries mm-hmm. and preserving them. And you're only ever going to know what they want you to know. Right. And certainly, of course, there are really talented interviewers who can crack through the facade. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I felt like we had a great conversation, but I also felt like she was only going to say what she was going to say, yeah. no matter how I approached it or tried to sort of go past the facade. Mm. Right. I'm curious how you ended up landing the interview of Madonna for Harper's Bazaar. That seems like a pretty cool get. Yeah. Um, It's a weird story. So the artist Marilyn Minter is a friend of Madonna's. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned my book, Bad Feminist, to Madonna. Uh And that uh, I should have a convert that she should have a conversation with me. And then I believe Madonna read Bad Feminist and then requested me for (laughs) the interview. That's really cool. It is. Amazing. (laughs) It is. So, Roxanne, a lot of people consider you one of the most influential feminists of your generation. Do you consider Madonna a feminist and why or why not? 
you know, I don't think it's up to me to define who is and who isn't a feminist. I think that, except if you're uh, pro-life. I'm sorry, you're not a feminist if you're pro-life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that she has done many feminist things mm-hmm. uh, um, over the years. And I think that she has been a beacon for women who want to be a little radical and who want to be provocative. Um, In our last episode, we included some clips from Madonna's Billboard Woman of the Year speech in 2016. I'm just going to share one of those clips again here. I remember wishing that I had a female peer that I could look to for support. Camille Paglia, the famous feminist writer, said that I set women back by objectifying myself sexually. Oh, I thought. So if you're a feminist, you don't have sexuality. You deny it. So I said, f*** it. I'm a different kind of feminist. I'm a bad feminist. As the woman who popularized the term, can you explain the concept of a bad feminist? What does it mean? Well, I think it means a lot of different things to different people. But when I coined the phrase, it was... um, but, uh, partly tongue-in-cheek and partly not. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that mainstream feminism certainly has a reputation and it gives the impression that you have to behave in very specific ways to be considered a good feminist. And so I found that that definition didn't leave a lot of space for people like me who may have had some inconsistent ideologies, but were still feminists. And so I thought it was better to create a space within feminism for myself by calling myself a bad feminist, like, cause haha, I'm really bad at it. But I also create, you know, coined the phrase as a repudiation of mainstream feminism and the way in which it prioritizes heterosexual, middle-class, able-bodied white women and to the detriment of every other kind of woman. And if that's good feminism, then Mm, I'm a bad feminist because (laughs) uh, my feminism is inclusive. So why do you think feminists in the 80s and 90s didn't see Madonna's public image as liberating in the way she was aiming for? I think that feminists then and now, uh, mainstream feminists, were afraid of rocking the boat too much and worried that she would bring too much attention to us and make it harder because we had to be good little girls and she wasn't. And... I think it's egregious that they would not include her in the feminist project simply because she was provocative and sexual and um, willing to color outside the lines. Now, Madonna's not the only pop star to draw criticism from public feminists. I'm thinking, for example, of when in 2014, Bell Hooks called Beyonce a terrorist after the release of her Time magazine cover. In fact, at the time, you wrote for The Guardian that... Hook's statements provoke without creating space for difference or substantive debate. She assumes the worst of people and the best of the oppressive patriarchy. What did you mean by that? You know, I I respect Bell Hooks immensely, and I understand what she was saying, and I think she's entitled to her opinion. But I think that it's not giving women enough credit, and certainly Beyonce enough credit. I think that we like to believe that pop stars are only working within a heterosexist, patriarchal, capitalistic framework, and that there's no agency there. 
Mm-hmm. And I disagree. I think mm-hmm. that they are working within that framework, but I think they understand that they are and mm-hmm. that they are rebelling in the ways that they can. And mm-hmm. I certainly would include Beyonce in that, especially the deeper she gets into her career. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really wrong to dismiss Beyonce as having nothing to contribute to feminism and as someone we shouldn't be paying attention to. She can't be the only person. Yeah. Right. But um, because there are so many great scholars doing work, including and especially bell hooks, but mm-hmm. to suggest that she has nothing to say and that mm-hmm. she's a terrorist. Yeah. I mean, a terrorist is a terrorist. Words mean things. And to suggest that Beyonce is a terrorist for leaning into her sexuality. Yeah. I just think it's dangerous and I yeah. think it's wrong. Agree. Yeah. It almost feels like that could have been written about the critiques of Madonna. What do you think it says about the feminist movement that Madonna felt like she wasn't welcome to have a place in it too? I think it shows that we've been having the same conversation for nearly a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting. Seriously. Did you know that with the Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card, you could be building your credit with on-time payments for your everyday purchases? There's no annual fee, interest, or credit check to get started. Complete your Credit Builder starter kit with Chime's checking account. With a qualifying direct deposit, Chime's checking account allows you to get paid up to two days early and overdraft up to $200 without fees using their Spot Me feature. Plus, I love that you can pay friends through Chime even if they're not Chime members. And when you receive money, you can cash it out fee-free. That's going to be helpful for group dinners for sure. Oh, for sure. (laughs) So start building your credit. Open a Chime checking account with at least a $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. Get started at Chime.com slash rich. That's Chime.com slash rich. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and over-the-counter advance fees may apply. Call 1-844-244-6363 for details. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on payer. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. So one of the things we noticed while working on this series is that a lot of things Madonna did that were controversial at the time would barely raise an eyebrow today. Now I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, for example, her appearance at the very first VMAs when she rolled around on the stage floor in a wedding dress and her manager was like, you'll never work in this town again. Why do you think people were so outraged? I think people are outraged because she does all of the things that provoke them, that titillate them, that Mm -hmm. make them wish they had the courage to do that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Well, and during the 80s, there were other artists like Prince and Boy George who were also pushing the boundaries of acceptable sexuality within their music and fashion. What made Madonna different or unique in this sense? Uh, I think that she was a woman made her unique. I think that the way she was so unapologetic and like she never backed down. And she never tried to cater to the mainstream. And that is unique. So one of the most recognizable things about Madonna is, of course, her fashion. And everybody can recognize, you know, the wedding dress with the boy toy belt or the Godier cone bra. Why do you think these looks became so iconic and also so controversial? Well, I mean, I think the looks were stunning. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. they were so, like 
it wasn't just provocative. They were just really out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that we had never seen anything like that. And again, it's a different time. Now it's like not going to really raise any kind of eyebrow. Right. But back then, it was really a big deal. And mm-hmm. it was really fashion forward. Mm-hmm. And again, she did it without apology or explanation. It was yeah. just like, this is how I choose to self-present and you will deal. So Madonna is widely considered to be a gay icon. Can -hmm. you explain how her career might be seen from a queer perspective? What is it about her music and performance that invites queer audiences? I think that her willingness to be herself and her willingness to be different. I think that she speaks to queer audiences in the same way that a Lady Gaga speaks Mm -hmm. to queer audiences. Um, The sense of play, the sense of costume, the playing with makeup. Uh, and self-presentation, all of these things, I think, offer windows um, or mirrors, rather, that queer people can see a, a reflection of a version of themselves in. And since we're talking about Madonna as a gay icon, I have to mention her single Vogue, which was a massive hit and the best-selling single of 1990. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to touch on this in our series, but Madonna was a dancer at heart, and she's widely considered to be the one who brought the Vogue style of dance to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. But as we know, Vogue came from the house ballroom scene and the black and brown queer people who created their cultures there. How should we engage with Madonna's legacy knowing that today we consider it cultural appropriation? I think that we simplify appropriation debates, but that said, um, I think that we give credit where credit's due and say she may have brought it to the mainstream, Mm -hmm. but um, she took it from a subculture that is entirely responsible for its invention. How do you think we should balance the positive visibility that she brought to the ball scene with the accidental harm she did of kind of dining and dashing? Well, I mean, I think it has to be acknowledged. I think whenever there's harm, it has to be acknowledged and uh, there has to be repair, if -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that she dabbled in it. And we see lots of pop stars do this, where they sort of dabble in something, a subculture, but then they return to the comfort of the main culture. And I think it, it's important to just call it out, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I think a lot of pop stars do it. We, we, I think people lay a lot at Madonna's feet as if she's yeah. the only one who's done it when, I mean, white people have been appropriating subcultures since the beginning of time and never acknowledging it. And it's somehow the women that we expect to answer for it only. I'm like, yes, they need to answer for it. But we can also talk about all of the white singers who took and remade soul music during the 60s and 70s and certainly other eras. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens all the time. Yeah. Looking at Elvis right now. <laughs> so I want to go back a bit to the 2003 VMAs. Uh, Madonna and Britney kissing at the VMAs is a cultural touchstone for at least two whole generations of music fans. Now, by today's standards, it's extremely tame. But why were we all so obsessed with it? Um, I think we were so obsessed with it because, you know, that was one of the first times that we saw lesbians and the mainstream mm-hmm. or something lesbian. And of course, there was nothing lesbian about it. It was right. two straight women <laughs> yeah. right. um, titillating straight men, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's a place to start. And yeah. um, I think it was just so unheard of. And again, nobody would blink today. Right. But, mm-hmm. Back then, it was the first time, and it was a big deal. 
And they were two of the hottest stars in the world, but they were also across two different generations of pop music. And so it was like the queen and the princess making out nice. (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned them being kind of at opposite ends. And I feel like at the time, the critics pitted the two women against each other. The kiss proved that Britney was on the rise and Madonna was past her prime. And I'm wondering if you agree. And if you do, why do you think critics went there? Because I think that pundits and critics always feel the need to pit women against one another. We see it with Nicki Minaj and Cardi B, with Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it just, people don't seem to be able to understand women unless they're in competition. Yeah, I feel like these days it feels like the only artists that get people tied up in knots are Black female performers, like what you mentioned, Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion. Um, And I'm thinking, of course, about their provocative performance at the Grammys this year, which I loved. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people had a lot of thoughts on it. How does race complicate the way we talk about women being sexual in public? Do you think Madonna opened the door for them to do what they do? I think Madonna opened the door for white women to do it. (laughs) And I think that when if black women do it, you know, it's a whole different story. If Madonna had made the song um, W.A. WAP. the conversation around that song would have been entirely different and Ben Shapiro Mm. would not have sort of lost his goddamn mind. Um, You know, like the rules are just different and black women are always punished for sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, So then do you think that in this example, who's opening the door or Cardi B and Megan, are they opening the door themselves? I think they're opening the door themselves. Other people have opened the door, but black women tend to have to reopen the door over and over again. Mm. Whereas white women, like Lady Gaga, got to walk through the door that Madonna opened. But Cardi B and Meg the Stallion had to reopen the door that Nicki Minaj opened and that mm. Lil' Kim yeah. opened. Right. Mm. Okay, so um, just to switch gears again, Madonna portrayed Eva Perone on screen in Evita. She directed a film about the life of Wallace Simpson, the Duchess of Windsor, and she's famously a huge fan of Frida Kahlo. What do you think draws her to such complicated women? I think she knows a good story when she sees it. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that she sees herself as a complicated woman. I think she sees her something of herself in these women. And so I think she's just sort of searching for vehicles where she can express that side of herself. So you're trying to eat better, but meal prepping isn't exactly cutting it. Trust me, I've been there, which is why I'm so excited for today's sponsor, Factor. Factor's pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals are delivered right to your door and heat up in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier. It really hasn't. And you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. This is a sponsor that we're like, we're going to probably pay for this on our own when it runs out. And that's a big testament. Like, the meals are delicious. I have not had a meal I don't like from there. The idea of being able to put something in the microwave for two minutes and it coming out as if you cooked it. (sighs) Yeah. I feel like we're living in the future. We are. And we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Yeah. So head to factormeals.com slash rich50 and use code rich50 to get 50% off. That's code rich50 at factormeals.com slash rich50 to get 50% off. As we all know, Madonna married actor Sean Penn in 1985 and divorced him in 1989. 
By all accounts, he was an alcoholic with an explosive temper, but the tabloids were almost gleeful about how rocky things were. How would the narrative of that story be different if it came out today? Well, I think much in the same way that, like, we would look at the Courtney Love, Kurt Cobain story differently. Yeah. She would be seen more as the victim of her own story um, Mm -hmm. instead of sort of what did she do to deserve it? Or she's so provocative. What did she think was going to happen? Like bad girl, of course, she's going to end up with a bad boy. Right. So we would hopefully not have that framing or less of that framing. Yeah. So there have also been reports over the years that Sean is abusive, including that he kidnapped and beat Madonna. Um, Mm -hmm. You even mentioned the allegation briefly in your book, Bad Feminist. Mm -hmm. Now, they've both denied that anything ever happened, but for some reason, the rumors persist. It feels like one of those things everyone kind of accepts as true, even though we don't have any real evidence. Mm -hmm. So uh, why are we so attached to the idea of Madonna as a victim, even when she's explicitly said she isn't one? I think because we know that a lot of women tend to deny that they were victims for Mm -hmm. one reason or another, and a lot of them culturally influenced. And so where there's smoke, there's fire. So I think that that's why people don't necessarily believe the allegations. I mean, I think that, you know, we should take Madonna at her word, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. do I still believe the allegations? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But she has her reasons for wanting to deny them. And I respect that as well. So it's not something I would like write about anymore. Yeah. Because right. like she has said her piece. And so like I think that we should allow people who have been the victims of violence or trauma to control the narrative in whatever mm-hmm. ways they want. And if they say like, let's stop talking about it, let's stop talking about it. It's odd because one of the exciting things about Madonna is that she always seems to be in control. She's managed to have a level of agency in her career that seems rare for pop stars now. She even has writing credits on almost all of her music. How was she able to keep asserting herself as the main character in her own story? Money. She, um, (laughs) Beyonce has a writing credit on, I think, every song she's written in the past five or ten years. Yeah. Mm. Um, She has enough power and enough money to do so. And she continues to earn money. And Mm -hmm. so as long as a star continues to earn money, they can do what they want. It's when you're not earning money that you're at the mercy of others. Do you think that that ends up compromising the quality of what they put out? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I think that these kinds of people who achieve like a Madonna level of power, I think that many of them are perfectionists and believe in excellence. You know, I think that Madonna's last few albums haven't been the greatest, but I don't think it's because... She's not getting any notes. I think it's because maybe her interests lie elsewhere. What worked at 25, 30, even 40 is not necessarily going to work at 65. And I think that in an industry that prioritizes youth, I don't think it's that she can't make good music. I think that it's that she's trying to make music within an industry that thinks women die after 40. On that note, one of the persistent critiques of Madonna over the last 20 years has been that she's too old to still be making music. Why do you think people are so fixated on her age? I think people want women of a certain age to like sort of sit in their rocking chair and shut (laughs) up. Um, It's super ageist and ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, If she can still make music and people will still buy it, like, let her make music. And frankly, I don't even think that people buying it needs to be um, a a criterion for 
whether or not she makes music. If she wants to do it, she gets to do it. I think it makes people uncomfortable because they don't have enough imagination to imagine thriving um, at her age. And quite frankly, she's not old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like part of the pushback against Madonna is that she basically refuses to accept the idea that women should disappear from public life as they get older. Do you think there's any famous women who have aged in the public eye without any pushback? No. Why then do you think Madonna's the artist who's captured this much attention for simply getting older? Because she continues to do the same things now that she did 30, 40 years ago. So there's also this idea that women need to age gracefully. Mm -hmm. What do you think people even mean by that? They mean women need to age quietly, except that you're out to pasture. Don't, don't want too much for yourself. It sort of feels like it's just another way for people to police women's lives. Yeah. How does Madonna break the mold by refusing to be graceful? She doesn't need to be graceful because she has money. <laughs> That's yeah. It comes down to that. <laughs> it really does. She gets yeah. to make her own rules because she has wealth. Listen, I've seen how she has organized her life. Madonna doesn't have to do a goddamn thing she doesn't want to do. It's impressive. So then, is there anything you think is really fascinating about Madonna that we haven't asked you about yet? I think her energy is impressive. Mm. Like, I'm 46, and I, I'm i like, I'm good to go. I'm yeah. ready to just... Same. I mean, I'm still... I'm like, obviously, I'm working more than I ever have. I, and I would say, like, I'm sort of stepping into, the, I think, what will be the best years of my life. But, like, I have no interest to do now the things I was doing when my 20s. And so mm, more power right. to her. Yeah. Like, Seriously. More power to her. As someone who tours constantly, at least I'm just a writer. Like, I do yeah. my little event. I do the signing line. I go back to my hotel. But she, like, goes on stage and dances for yeah. two hours <laughs> yeah. and then goes to another city the next night. Yeah. I respect it. And I wish more people would just sort of respect the sheer energy it takes to do that and then raise like 11 children. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so, Roxanne, just to touch base really quick, like you, Madonna grew up Catholic and she had a complicated relationship with her faith, but she kept exploring religious themes in her music and image. Why do you think she kept going back to Catholicism for inspiration? I think that there's a lot that's interesting about Catholicism, mm -hmm. from the ceremony to mm -hmm. uh, the rituals and the contradictions of the church, the fact that women are incredibly disempowered in the Catholic Church, uh, and she is a powerful woman. Um, so to wrap things up, what do you think Madonna's next chapter will look like? I don't know. I think that... At some point, I think she's going to get tired of touring, not because mm -hmm. she can't do it, but because she doesn't want to. Yeah. And I think we'll see her doing more in film and television. I think mm. that her mm. dream is to get good at it and yeah. um, to get into directing. And okay. when I was there, she, has, she optioned this book, and I wish I could remember the title of the book. I have it in my notes, but I have no idea where they are. <laughs> um, she has a book that she optioned that she um, – wrote the screenplay for and mm. it's a novel and she wants to direct the movie and I think she also wants to star on it. Oh wow. Um, wow. And so I suspect she's going to be doing things like that. Okay. Do you think there's anything left that she could really do to surprise us at this point? Well, I think yes, but I think that we wouldn't be surprised because we expect her to surprise us. Mm. But Good point. I, I think that she has some life left. I mean, I know she has a lot of life yet to live mm -hmm. and I think that she has some interesting career turns still left in her. Yeah. Mm. 
So uh, when she does perform again, are we going to see you in the front row? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think the world of her, but mm-hmm. uh, her new her new music does not speak to me. And so if yeah, she's doing like her greatest hits, then yes. Yeah. If mm. she's doing her newer music, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Roxanne, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This yeah. was a lot of fun. This was great. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks again to Roxanne for joining us. Yes, I can't believe she's actually been to Madonna's house. I know. I don't think I'd be able to keep it together in her presence. (laughs) So speaking of famous women's homes, next (laughs) week, I'll be taking the lead to tell the story of the endlessly glamorous Elizabeth Taylor. We've got all the juicy details on her acting career, her many marriages, and all those diamonds. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams. And I'm Brooke Sifrin. This episode was produced by Natalie Shisha. Our associate producer is Kate Young. Our audio engineer is Sergio Enriquez. Our executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Jenny Lauer Beckman, and Marsha Louie for Wondery. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.